Buju, hello. Welcome to a special edition of Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. My spirit name is Niganwidan, or the Thunder Before the Storm. And I like that a lot better than Clyde. But when I was born, we were forbidden to have an Indian name, a name that came directly through vision, through ceremony, from the Creator through the Great Spirit. That's the voice of Naganawaydan, the thunder before the storm, known as Clyde Belcourt, co-founder of the American Indian Movement. He began his journey onto the spirit world on January 11th, 2022. He was 85 years old. Native Lights is at its core a place for Native folks to tell their stories, and for this special edition, we are honoring Naganaway Dunn's life and legacy by hearing from community members who knew him well and who can share stories and shed light on the impact and legacy of Clyde Bellacourt. There's so much to share, as you might imagine, about the contribution of Clyde Belcourt. So we're going to be sharing his many accomplishments and stories from folks who knew him in two parts. So we're really honored and excited to share those stories with you. And I don't know about you, Cole, but I saw so much outpouring of messages and when the news came out about Clyde Belcourt's passing, saw so many messages on social media. A lot of, uh, yeah, personal connections and memories and stuff like that. It was very profound to see all those, you know, rolling out once when people learned of his passing. Yeah, for sure. Like, I I feel like everybody I know (laughs) posted something. (laughs) So Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan wrote about losing a civil rights leader who fought, and this is a quote from her post, we lost a civil rights leader who fought for more than half a century on behalf of indigenous people in Minnesota and around the world. And while while talking to folks about Clyde, I realized more and more of his worldwide impact, local, yeah. total, totally local impact, state impact, national impact, but you know, realizing his worldwide impact was was impressive as well. And a lot of that impact was through the work he did with the American Indian Movement. Clyde's generation and the work that those men and women did during the Red Power Movement reinstilled that pride back into our communities and helped our young people to know that it was okay. It was not only okay, it was a phenomenal thing to be Indigenous and that we could yell it from the rooftops. We could express our our indigeneity out into the world and be proud of who we are. And that is Dr. Kate Bean, who is a scholar and the executive director of the Minnesota Museum of American Art. You know, he started so many organizations that are foundational legacy organizations that have been doing critical work in our community for, you know, decades, right? And he's at the forefront of a lot of that work. You know, and he showed up in his hat and his walking stick that, you know, that beaded walking stick he has that you carried everywhere. You know, and he was formidable, but he was also, he was a wise old uncle to everybody, right? Everybody calls him Uncle Clyde. Dr. Anthony Stately is the CEO of the Native American Community Clinic, and he knew Uncle Clyde since he was a young boy. 
And I got to talk to Anthony Stately about him, and he just had so much joy uh, to be able to recount his memories with Clyde Belcourt. Uncle Clyde and my dad were, were friends back in the days of the Red Power Movement and worked together quite a bit. Growing up, you know, I remember one day where I, I came home one evening and in college and my dad had Clyde Belcourt, Dennis Banks, Floyd Westerman, Bill Means all at our, at our house uh, for dinner and listening to the stories that they all shared. Um, while we grilled hamburgers out on the out in the yard and and shared food and and uh, reminisced was really exciting and fun. It must have been pretty amazing, not only to have hamburgers and stories with the founders of the American Indian Movement, yeah. but also just to witness their relationship. Yeah, just that family sit down and just hang out kind of experience. I, I, I found it, her reminiscing uh, very heartwarming for sure. So the American Indian movement, you know, is such a historic, significant to this day group. Um, you know, I remember seeing jackets, you know, people wearing their aim jackets and, you know, their shirts and stuff like that. I'm like, that is so uh, cool. And like, who is this group? <laughs> You know, I knew about them more academically, but when I was, you know, hanging around, bopping around um, the American Indian Cultural Corridor, you could see it more up, see them more up close and personal. Yeah, definitely. And um, to get more, you know, background on the American Indian movement, uh, we spoke to Dr. Brenda Child, who is a historian and professor of American studies. Uh, She explains the wide impact of this very influential movement that was founded in 1968. The founders of the American Indian Movement, especially Clyde Belcourt, Dennis Banks, Eddie Benton Benet, and George Mitchell, were, you know, they became kind of very important figures in this, in this very influential movement. And they were calling attention to problems of Native people in the city. Um, some of those problems were inequality when it came to housing, discrimination when it came to jobs. There, were, there was also a very strong education focus of the American Indian movement kind of throughout its years in that there was the feeling that the, that the schools that our uh, children were being sent to, especially in Minneapolis, St. Paul, were kind of failing Native people and families. And of course, and this is sort of my reason for studying what I've studied in life, the feeling that American Indians were left out entirely of the narrative of American Indian history and weren't being taught that in school. But there were also some very distinctive social issues that they were reacting to. And one of those, it's so funny because it's so present in our conversations and politics today, uh, and that was the police brutality and the uh, discrimination that Native people were experiencing at the time. And so this is the beginning of the kind of AIM patrols, you know, in the 60s and 1970s, which were kind of policing um, Indian neighborhoods and also kind of serving as witnesses when Indian people were, were being arrested. So those were some of the foundational kind of issues, I think, that people like uh, Clyde Belcourt were calling attention to. Um, in the late 60s and early 70s. They they played a big role after the 
murder of George Floyd too, patrolling the American Indian Culture Corridor and making sure businesses and um, places along there uh, in the community were safe and and providing food and stuff like that for all the people involved in the reckoning. Yeah, definitely. I also found it profound because uh, today we're still, you know, dealing with being included in the narrative, but, you know, not that long ago, it seemed we weren't even a part of the narrative at all and something needed to be done and this movement was part of that. Yeah, it's it's just astonishing to think about you know, not not being included in the narrative of American history, but also not being included in the narrative of American Indian history. <laughs> like, why 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 can't we write our own yeah. stories and share our own histories? So, yeah, a big big part of the community, uh, Aim and Clyde Belcourt. He also loved the community deeply, right? And this is the way that he demonstrated his love is that he got out there in front and he was loud and, and you know and and spoke his mind and challenged you know structures structures deeply held structures for years Clyde was a fighter he was a big man and he had a presence a strong presence you know his presence was felt that's Bob Rice the owner of Powell Grounds coffee shop and and that's on Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis I don't think Powell Grounds would be here without AIM, the American Indian movement and what they've done all these organizations that are up and down the avenue these were done by some of the people that were involved with AIM you know and other people no doubt but AIM was a big part of it you know all our I think all of our roots can trace back to the changes or the spotlight that that the American Indian put on uh, injustices done to Native Americans. You know, and I believe that uh, you know Clyde was the one that busted in the head, and he had others that were like I, I can think of Bill Means, who's a real thoughtful man. And, you know, all the behind the scenes people putting things together and Clyde out front, you know, you know, pounding his fist or whatever that was, then bringing that, you know, and being that presence, you know, but there are a lot of people behind him doing all the other stuff. Yeah, Powell Grounds probably not being there, just like Bob Rice said, when it comes to the American Indian movement without that all that they did and organizations that they supported. And that seems to be a really strong theme with the people we spoke with about Clyde Belcourt and his work um, with um, the American Indian movement and beyond is really crediting him with paving the way for a lot of these significant organizations in health Uh, in education and beyond. Yeah, you just walk down that Franklin Avenue, you find a lot of uh, of his impact for sure. You're listening to a special edition of Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're looking back on the life and legacy of Clyde Belcourt, co-founder of the American Indian Movement. We're visiting with folks who knew Nigana Dunn as they share memories and reflections on his life. 
This is the first of a two-part series. So Robert Pilot, like us, is a radio host, and he's the host of Native Roots Radio. And Clyde Belcourt came on a show many times and shared history with listeners. And Robert really highlights kind of what Bob Rice was talking about, that Bob Rice said that he would be pounding his fist, <laughs> being that presence, uh, which is required when, when maybe nobody was listening or when nobody was listening. They did confrontational politics uh, as Amsters and you know, he would tell the long story of that we'd knock on the door and no one answered, then we'd knock harder and no one answered, and then we'd knock really hard and no one answered, and we'd knock the door down. And that's how AIM and those guys were back in the 60s, late 60s and 70s. One of the things they point out about the American Indian movement figures, like, you know, later on Russell Means, but early on Clyde Belcourt um, and Dennis Banks in particular, is that they were really experts at gaining the attention of the media. Yeah, so they definitely made themselves known when being known is what was needed. I talked with Bob Blake, the CEO of Native Sun Community Development Center, and he's also the owner of Solar Bear. And he recalls a, a colorful story of his friend Clyde Belcourt um, as it pertains to uh, the media. Back in like I think it was the early '90s, there was a it was a Columbus Day kind of gathering or like parade or something. It was an event, and I, I remember uh, watching the news, and Clyde had gone up with a with a with like some paint. I think it was some paint or something, and he had throw it on the Columbus <laughs> people's like you know their like montage. And he threw it and he said, murderer. And he said, this is native land. He says, you people have been living on native land and the rent is due. <laughs> this land is native land and the rent is due. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, that is like Clyde. Like that is like wow, you know. Only Clyde could do that. Everything that he meant to Native community, everything that he meant to civil rights, everything that he meant. I mean, he he was a uh, he was our you know he was our Malcolm X, and 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 that is something that um, I have tremendous respect for Clyde from because we we have to have that voice. We have to let people still know that we are still here, and and Clyde was that guy who allowed us to. To have that, and and we are deeply going to be missing that, um, and and um, I love the guy for that. Yeah, and it was a really big voice. Even though we're doing a two-part special edition, Naganaway Dunn and the American Indian Movement did more than we could possibly include in three, four, five more. Here's a list of highlights, though. Um, AIM leaders spoke out against high unemployment, horrible housing conditions, and of course racism. The group fought for treaty rights, reclamation of tribal land. A big part of what they did was advocate on behalf of urban Native people who were born into poverty. K-12 Heart of the Earth Survival School was founded by AIM in 1971. And in 1972, the group held a Trail of Broken Treaties march in Washington, D.C., where they took over the Bureau of Indian Affairs, 
also known as the BIA, protesting its policies and demanding reform. You know, whenever I'd go to a demonstration, a protest, because, yeah, I enjoy being out there too. Like, not your mascot, um, Rally in March. He is always involved. Clive Belcourt, he always has the microphone. At some point, he's always, he he's in the spotlight a lot. But he also makes sure to, or made sure to share the spotlight. Made sure to encourage others, put others out front um, when, when there were these big speeches and demonstrations and stuff like that. I think it was right outside... It was right outside the U of M stadium, uh, and it was the Not Your Mascot rally. And I remember him up there, you know, speaking, and it was just, yeah, like like people have been saying, that powerful presence um, mm. was definitely resonating with the crowd and me there. Mm-hmm. And wow, you know, in this last year, Not Your Mascot became Not Your Mascot in a couple teams, huh? Still got some to go, but <laughs> the big ticket items for sure all been changing so it's good to see that impact directly yeah Mm -hmm. like be being carried out finally after all these years so we are going to bring in uh some audio from clyde belcourt himself talking with niji radio in 2015 talking about a march against racist mascots the women are the ones that are marching in the front lines against the racism in sports and media. November 2nd, I had over 6,000 people. Nobody could believe it. The mayor, the police, when I was telling them I was going to bring 6,000 people out on them, we were kind of smiling in the background. But we brought over 6,000, the biggest demonstration in history. Put the women and children right up front, right up front. I said, you're going to lead this from now on. We're going to focus all our attention on our elders and our women and our children. And I want you to lead this march. And I, when I got up three blocks away, I looked back, and the street and the sidewalks on both sides were completely filled. And there were women singing out in front, singing Medewin song, singing Grandad song. And we took over, and every tribe, now listen to this, every tribe here in the state of Minnesota, two hours before the march, came out in a Sunday paper, signed by Charlie Vig, writer Irma Visner, Kevin Lisi. First time that all the Dakota tribes and the Ojibwe tribes came together. And the National Indian Gaming Association, Ernie Stevens, and all the heads of the, the NAACP, all the National Congressmen, everybody was there. Nobody's ever been able to do that in history. The American Indian Movement has done that. You're listening to a special edition of Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. This is the first of a two-part series on Clyde Belcourt. We're looking back on the life and legacy of the co-founder of the American Indian Movement. We're visiting with folks who knew Naganawaitan, Clyde Belcourt, as they share memories and reflections on his life. So we just heard about a more recent, or in the past decade, the results of the work of the American Indian Movement and Clyde Belcourt, and the path to getting there, to getting that 
support and the thousands of people who show up to demonstrate uh, was really rooted in Clyde Belcourt's understanding in the treatment of Native people and his determination to not stand for it. And much of that motivation was actually from his mother. Because I always tell the story where I travel around the world. I tell people there's only two people that I respected when I was scared of. And they say, who is that? That was the creator and my mother. And my <laughs> mother was number one. She said, look me in the eye when she wanted to answer. You know, and you didn't dare lie to her or tell her stories. The last thing that she did was spoke Indian. I had an elder with me, her name was Marge, one of her girlfriends, an old lady like her, and they asked me to go get her, and I went and got her. And uh, when they pulled the tubes on her and everything, she started singing Indian. And I put my ear down there to listen, and I didn't know what she was singing about, but the old lady winked at me and smiled, and then she took a deep breath and she was gone. And I said, what is my mom singing about? And she said, oh, she was singing about the wild rice beds and the beautiful birch bark trees and the lakes. And your mother went home. You know, and that was a time of grief, grief and sorrow, but I smiled. I felt good because her pain and suffering was over. When the weather would change, my mom's knees would swell up on her. She could hardly walk. And we'd ask her any questions. Mom, what's wrong with your leg? She would say it was arthritis. But I lived with that all my youth, you know, of my adult life. And uh, when, right after the movement formed, she was telling me I had to forget about the past and think about the future. And I was telling my mom, Mom, if we ever forget about our past, we'll have no future. We have to go back to how beautiful it was at one time. So the fight for that beauty that Clyde is talking about was met with resistance. At times, it wasn't peaceful. So the FBI caught wind of AIM and the movement in the early 1970s and actually set out to stop and suppress AIM. And actually suppress is kind of a gentler word than what happened. Um, In February 1973, during a protest and occupation of the small Native community of Wounded Knee, South Dakota, the FBI confronted AIM, which resulted in a 71-day siege. That resulted in 1,200 arrested, two people were killed, and 12 wounded. And there are so many details to Wounded Knee, um, but in the end, uh, AIM leaders were acquitted of wrongdoing. So Clyde was there fighting for the beauty that he wanted to see in the world. Clyde put himself in the way to have his voice heard, have the voice of AIM heard, in order to make change. But this doesn't happen in a vacuum. He wasn't the only person affected. But anyway, she witnessed me getting beat up and arrested and going to jail and wounded knee and being shot and all that. And all during that time, she started developing a heart problem. And she'd go live with my brother Vernon in Denver. And one day, he got mad at me. You're driving your mother to her grave. And, and I said, what are you talking about? The reason why she comes to Denver is she has to get away from you because all that stuff, you're confronting the police, you're getting beat up and being shot, you've been the BI takeover and wounded knee and all that. And I told my brother, Vern, I said, I'll never get away from what I'm uh, doing. You know, we got schools going on, legal services, our power and uh, culture is uh, coming back, but I'll go talk to mom tonight. And I went over there, you know, and I asked mom, why didn't you tell me you were having these problems? And I said, I'm sorry, I can't change, I can't 
go back to the way it was. I want to help people. Then she broke down and she started telling me her story, how she went to this boarding school. And when they caught her speaking in it, she had to get down, just not her hundreds like her, get down on her hands and knees with a little bowl of soap water and a toothbrush and scrub the floors all day and clean out the urinals and toilets. But all the other kids that gave up their language were running around playing. And I found out my mother never gave up. Toward the end, she told me they tied sacks of marbles on her knees, not just her, but other children in the boarding school system to get them to break, get them away from the language and the culture. And she had to scrub floors like that. And that's why her legs would swell up, why she had arthritis. It was created through the boarding school system. And she made me cry when she told me that. I had locked myself in my room that night because I was scared to go out in the streets of Minneapolis because I figured I might hurt somebody. I might even get shot by a policeman. But then I realized and understood that I was doing the right thing. All the things that we were doing was the right thing, and I rededicated myself that that would the way it would be forever. Wow, it's a it's such a strong emotional story uh, from Clyde about his mother. It's kind of tough to hear. Uh, she saw a lot and her and experienced so much trauma, and to see, hear that in her final moment, she spoke her native language, uh, despite what she experienced in boarding schools, and a lot of that is you know, it's coming out today, what happened in these boarding schools, you know, tales of trauma and, and pain and, and so much more uh, wrongdoing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, to be able to hear how Clyde's mother, in her final moments, spoke and sung the language, you know, um, going against the white supremacy that she had experienced and then knowing that Clyde really took that to heart and knew that, you know, it was going to move him along in his own journey to disrupt uh, the violence and the racism against Native people that was continuing. That was a very significant moment and uh, very significant to hear from him. to all those who shared their stories and memories today. We heard so many who admired Clyde Belcourt's work, efforts, and friendship. In part two of this special edition of Native Lights, we hear more from those who knew Clyde and stories that they shared about him. We'll also hear more about the pivotal moments Clyde Belcourt experienced in prison, moments that set him on a new path. You can hear part two by searching for Native Lights wherever you listen to podcasts or by visiting minnesotanativenews.org slash nativelights. We also want to acknowledge the passing of Peggy Belcourt on March 16, 2022. Peggy co-founded the American Indian Movement alongside her husband, Clyde. They were married for 56 years. Clyde said in his 2016 autobiography that his life with Peggy was inseparable from the movement, and it was her strength and support that made his work in the movement possible. Today, we're looking back on the life and legacy of Clyde Belcourt, co-founder of the American Indian Movement, 
For more on his life, many of his stories are in his autobiography, The Thunder Before the Storm. And the audio of Clyde today is courtesy of Niji Radio on the White Earth Reservation. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabamin. Lights Where Indigenous Voices Shine is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.